Welcome to CII Radio. I'm Viv Bowman, Corporate Development Coordinator at the CII. In this episode, I'll be talking to Sean Minnick. In this episode of the podcast, we are talking about open finance and insurance. We are joined by Sean Milley, co-founder of Green Kite Associates and founder of Black Brew Hair. Sean chaired the Tech Nations InsureTech Board Open Finance Working Group, and she co-authored their 2021 report, Open Finance, the Future of Insurance and Innovation. To find out more about this podcast and for useful links, go to the journal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Here's my conversation with Sean. Hello, Sean, and thank you for joining us on CII Radio. Hi, Viv. I'm really excited to be on CII Radio. Genuinely, it feels like a bit of a career highlight. I'm being completely sincere. Obviously, you can't see my face, um, but thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us again. Thanks. I know everything's a bit crazy at the moment with everyone coming out of lockdown, but it's really, really great to have you join us. Thank you. So without further ado, I've got loads of questions to get through, but uh, I'll start here. When we talk about open finance, in terms of insurance, what do we mean? Well, I think, what do we mean about open finance and insurance? We're talking about something that hasn't happened yet, but that is going to, and that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I think certainly within the next three years, possibly even sooner. But but what does it mean, Viv? Okay, so I think it is, it is important to just take a couple of steps back and have a little mini history lesson. So... We need to think about something first called open banking. And open banking was effectively, in many, many ways, a kind of radical policy intervention by the PRA in response to a deep dive they took into how banks were servicing um, consumers and SMEs. And what came out of that deep dive in sort of 2016-ish was a conviction that there wasn't enough competition. And in fact, the the existing setup of of retail banks in the UK, dominated by nine key players, was actually directly harmful to those uh, customer groups, so the consumers and and the SMEs. And so what happened was, in 2018, what's called the CMA9, the Competition Markets Authority 9, so those nine retail banking giants in the UK, were basically told Um, that they needed to develop technical and data infrastructure and standards that would basically open up their customer data to intermediaries who could then access all that allegedly lovely information around services, prices and service quality. And the whole goal of that was that then customers and SMEs could allow trusted intermediaries to actually access that data through their banking relationships on their behalf and do other stuff with it. So if you think about um, you're an SME and you want to access um, accountancy software, that's been enabled by open banking, the, the legislation that happened in 2018. If you think about all the people that you know um, who use budgeting apps, and one of the stats I've seen, Viv, is that um, the amazing stat to me, that apparently in the UK, the majority of people under 30 have a budgeting app, and quite a few of them use them. They don't just have them on their phone, but they actually use 
system. Wow. So that, again, is something that's been enabled by this open banking, um, as I call it, policy intervention. And the banks were told they had to do this. The incumbents, bear in mind, this is this is before really uh, the rise of the neobanks like Monzo and Starling and the rest. So those, those key retail banks basically told you are going to open up your data. This is my words. And not only that, but you're going to pay for the infrastructure, the, the technical in infrastructure that enables APIs to actually make this happen and the standards. And you're going to continue to pay for the implementation because this is a rolling progress, Viv, right? It didn't have a, an end point. Yeah. It's still going on. And so that's that really, in a way, was the first big experiment around this notion of opening up all the data that consumers and SMEs have in our financial lives. So it could be our savings, our mortgage, if we're a business, um, our, our, a small SME, an SME business, um, how we access lending and so forth, in the hopes and the expectation and the plan that if we are allowed to access that core data and share it with people we trust, trusted intermediaries, um, that we're going to get better service and better outcomes. Open banking is an experiment that has been deemed to work, Viv. Okay. Okay. So when we when we're talking about take up now, because it's only four years effectively since this this started, but what you'll see when you Google around open finance and open banking is a lot of stats talking about how many people in the UK are accessing some kind of open banking enabled um, relationship with an app or various other other things. And so it's really important to keep an eye on that because that experiment has been deemed to work. It's safe. It's secure. The pipe work is in place. Obviously, the proof in the pudding is, does anybody want it? And so it's quite important announcements that happened just this month, a couple of days ago, that apparently 5 million people in the UK now are actually tapping into open banking enabled products and services. And it's important for insurance for a couple of reasons, right? So the first thing is, the first experiment, open banking, has deemed to have worked. Yeah. The second point is more and more people are using it, which means the next experiment, there won't be any reasons why that won't happen in our sector. Okay, so insurance is obviously a vital part of everyone's financial life. Um, and so we're next, I think, along with open energy, um, which people may have heard of, and also open data, which people may have heard of as well. So this is, you know, this is an unstoppable train fired by a belief that safe, secure sharing of data enables consumers and SMEs to get a better deal because the established firms have to share their data, but they're also enabled to work with other people, whether that's fintechs or insurtechs or paytechs or whoever, to actually do what the incumbents maybe can't do, which is produce products and services that consumers and SMEs need. So we're next. And depending on who you listen to, that could be happening in the next 18 months, Viv, or it might be three years. And, and I think the fact that this kicked off with the nine at that time most you know, established and powerful retail banking players in the UK being told not only they were going to do this, but they're going to pay for it. I, you know, I think there could be what's stopping that happening in insurance. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's there's lots to kind of take on board there. Yeah. And so I know you said it's between 18 months and three years away, but where do you think insurance is at the moment in terms of open insurance? Yeah. So I think the structures and the regulatory and the 
and the compulsion, I guess, or the direction that we are going to do it is, is between those two times away. I think when we think about where is insurance at the moment on open finance as a concept and open insurance is something that, you know, um, mm. is going to happen. Yeah. Um, it's useful to think about it in two ways, I guess. So is insurance making the most out of open banking at the moment? Well, probably not, to be honest. But I think it's fair to say that it's much higher up the agenda in insurers than it than it has been. And particularly those insurers that are also part of a retail bank, you know, like Lloyd's Banking Group or, or that sort of player. So, but we do have a really a nice example that's worth looking at of insurance making the most of open banking. So Direct Line Group's Churchill brand um, has joined the app marketplace for the digital only Starling Bank so that if you've got a current account with Starling Bank and you think, oh, I need my home, home or motor insurance, I wonder if Starling have got anything in their range of apps that they offer to you automatically as a as a current account customer. Direct Line Group is there through the Churchill brand. And if I click on that as a Starling account holder, I haven't done it myself, Viv, so I'm just telling you what they say <laughs> happens, right? Right, yes. Um, if I click on that and I go through the quote process, quite a bit of the information that I would otherwise be having to give over the telephone or, you know, in a form yeah. um, will flow through automatically because my current account information with Starling is, is, is shared through open banking frameworks with Direct Line Group. So that's an example where um, of an insurer trying to make the most of um, open banking. Yeah. And I think the other the other way to look at where's insurance at the moment, that question is to say, well, are there other examples where insurance is collaborating on sharing data? Because open banking is about data and it's about sharing it fundamentally, technically and sort of, you know, culturally, really. So I think when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about um, the pensions dashboard, which many of your listeners will be familiar with or at least have heard of. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing project that's been going. You know, it's a, it's a very interesting innovation piece of innovation, I think. And um, obviously that initiative is to enable individuals to get access to their pensions info mm. online, all in one place and obviously securely. And the whole point there, or one of the big drivers there, as you know, is to help people with this awful problem of lost pensions, which is a massive problem for lots and lots of people, right? Yeah. So pensions dashboard, I think, is a really good example of where insurance has got sort of form, if you like, in collaborating on data for a really, really clear customer outcome. And, and that's where we're sort of setting aside our individual organizational competitive urges, if you like. And we're saying, no, we're going to share data in a secure and structured and clear and transparent way. Because actually, if we do that as a group of competing organizations, we can actually make a real difference to consumer outcomes, right? So really interesting to see what happens when that large scale consumer testing of the pensions dashboard starts, which is due in 2023, Viv. So I guess you'll be having lots of people on to talk about it at some point. <laughs> I'm sure we will. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll mark that in the diary then. So, how do you see this as being a benefit for both insurers and the customers? Because really, it's the customers that are going to be the ones to drive it, aren't they? 
this need. I don't, I, I, you would hope and you would perhaps think, but I'm not entirely sure, right? It's going to cost a lot. I mean, what we've also learned from the open banking successful experiment is that it, it's not cheap to set up infrastructure and technical pipe work and standards and all the rest of it. Although having said that, the argument is, well, we've done it once, so we don't have to rebuild it again. We just need to repurpose all of that work to make it um, work for insurance, right? So maybe that's not a barrier after all. I do think the insurers are going to have to see something in it for them, Viv, to put in the time, effort and money to do it, right? Yeah. So as always, you know, th- there's the usual promises, right, of uh, potentially more accurate underwriting, potentially if you've got more data, providing you use it right, you can design and deliver better products and services. That's the argument, right? Definitely, if you've got the technical pipe work in place, it makes it a lot easier for you as an organization to work with smaller fintechs or insurtechs or other smaller businesses that that do one thing really, really, really well that you potentially can't or you don't want to. And if that pipe works in place, it makes it, I mean, possible to collaborate in that way. So, you know, you're looking at the same kind of series of issues, really, you know, potentially efficiencies, potentially cost reduction, potentially being able to do more stuff because you can work with more people, more firms and specialists to do more stuff for customer. Now, I love it that you're saying it should be the customer driving it, really. And what I certainly think is that if you it's really important to go into this with a really clear view of how is what we're doing going to actually impact for the better on customer and that's consumer and SME. So some of the some of the things that, you know, some existing experience with open banking, you know, like the budgeting apps and all the rest of it that we referred to earlier. Some of the things on that it's good for customer because list include things like easier switching, like quicker customer journeys, but without sort of skimping on the kind of detail that you need to make a proper decision, like being easier to engage with your finances yourself. I mean, one of the reasons the budgeting apps are so popular is because they have the various suppliers and there are lots of them, Viv, you know, found ways to help people really, really sort of look look at what they've got and how they're spending in a way that they just simply couldn't do before. Um, And maybe some other things on that list um, should be that potentially um, one of the benefits for customers that it makes it easier for advisors to actually help you because the data is there um, for them to sort of understand you much more quickly. And then, yeah, something, you know, I'm, I don't get me started on personalization and insurance, if that's another podcast, but this could be a case where personalization actually does work for the customer because, you know, some people on the face of it, on some of the data that is used to make lending decisions, for example, is only half the story or even less than that, you know, Willingness to pay, many argue, should be as important in that decision-making process as ability to pay, as it looks like on some of the sort of really quite sort of stark metrics that we we use as firms now. So more personalization could mean that more people have access to products and services that at the moment they don't, simply because you know the way those decisions are, are made at the moment just don't allow for other really pertinent bits of information that open banking could pick up, like renting history, for example. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully that sort of gives you some some kind of scope of where the benefits and opportunities could be for both the insurance firm and, and the customer. Yeah. That's really, really great, Sean. Thank you. But on the flip side, because there always is a flip side, what are the risks emerging 
from it, firstly for the customer and then the insurers. Well, it's interesting again, isn't it? Because the experience with open banking is also, although it's not actually that long, um, because we're talking sort of under four years, really, um, we're starting to see some, some kind of, of those risks coming out, which we could reasonably expect to sort of factor in when we're thinking about open insurance when that happens. So let's stay with the customer then. And let's let's say, you know, quite clearly, personalization is leading to exclusion and exacerbating biases, right? Yeah. Now that's that's got that's a very again, that's another podcast, Viv. Um, but you know, that is that is a fact. Okay. Um, people are switching more, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're switching better for them. And obviously there are limitations, you know, what's happened in the energy market in the UK very recently, you know, it's all very well to be able to switch more easily, but it's not not any good if there's no one to switch to actually so so i think you know those kinds of things should be those are valuable learnings aren't they very as always you know some of those risks include the factors that should go into that constitute value for the consumer or the sme actually is is well beyond price i mean god i've been in insurance since two, obsessing about insurance since 2008 and this has been another sort of constant you know we need to talk about more than price absolutely right but at the moment um, that those other value factors are kind of missing in action, really. And then, of course, we've got risks of misuse of data. And also, as I alluded to earlier, you know, some of that core data being used to make decisions and at breakneck speed, because it's all automated through AIs and algos, um, some of that core data is clearly not up to the job, right? So there's, there's, a, there's quite a list of risks on the consumer side. If I look at what I think the risks are for the insurance firms, they're a bit different, really. I think one of the biggest risks that insurance firms will have when they're looking at open insurance is if they only see it as a technical job to be done, a technological um, development. Yeah, <clears throat> That's not saying that, you know, to, to disrespect the amount of expertise and effort it's going to take to to make this happen, you know, technically, securely and all the rest of it. But it's not actually primarily about the technology it's about what are you going to do with it what's your what's your end goal for the customer what's your plan for why you're doing this and how it's going to make your customers lives whether they're consumers or SMEs where, where it's going to make that material difference to you know what choices they have and, and what value they get from what you do I think the second second kind of key risk really associated with that is I think I think insurance is going to have to go through quite a shift in mindset, Viv, because yeah. it's not that long ago that insurance firms routinely talked about their data, right? My customer data, owning the customer, all of that stuff. And actually, the whole point about open finance is that the data supplied by and created on behalf of those customers of financial services and insurance that data is owned and controlled by the customer and therefore reusing that data with other providers is the customer's choice. It has to happen in a safe and ethical environment, but, but it has to happen with informed consumer consent. And if we think about all the arguments that were raging and are still raging around non-payment of business continuity 
claims because of COVID, Viv, and some of the arguments being that the customers just didn't really understand what they were buying and who's responsible for that. You know, there are massive debates still raging and issues raging, aren't there, around has, has insurance got informed customer consent right at all yet? And if it hasn't, you know, that issue is only going to come to the fore more when we get into an open insurance environment. So I think it's not our data, it's the customer's data. And what does that mean about how we use, govern, acquire, sell um, data, right? It's it's not a neutral substance and it actually doesn't belong to us um, as insurance firms. So I think those kind of couple of sort of real, real sort of risks or rather you know really important issues that we need to be thinking about in advance and having some answers to I think yeah absolutely and I think you touched upon data and a shift in the mindset of the profession as a whole so what can insurers do as we kind of edge ever closer to open insurance and customers wanting to know more about what they're buying and why how do insurers support their current customers even if they don't own those customers which in itself is quite an interesting concept to mitigate that risk what can they do i i I think where they actually have to start before they do anything is to work out how they're going to make open insurance work uh, for them as a business but also for their customers so those use cases and um real reasons for doing the the making the met i i I think there are two things i think there is going to be a this is going to happen and you need to be part of it insurance and you may well have to pay for it as well if we take the example of open banking and the cma9 and transplant it to insurance right so that's the first thing i think the second thing is though there's a real opportunity for insurance to kind of do lots of things that it constantly says it wants to do which is to be closer to customer to um, enable better uh, products and services and competition and informed choices and more value so i think it is an opportunity but you have to work out how you're going to make that opportunity and structure it as firms and i think I think both brokers, all parts of the value chain, but I think brokers that are that are that are also particularly in the SME sector, you know, still closest to customer, right? Yeah. And insurers with big retail books themselves. Yeah, I'd like, I think there's a real opportunity to kind of get ahead of the curve slightly, to get ahead of the compulsion if it comes and say, right, okay, let's work, let's really grind this out and make where does this fit in our strategy? They all have digitalization strategies, right? Yeah. Well, open finance and open insurance obviously should be part of that, right? Yeah. And so find out more. And I've got, you won't be surprised, Viv, that one of the key sources I think is worth looking at now, um, particularly if you're thinking, actually, do you know what? I, I'm, I, I'm not anywhere near an expert, even after listening to Viv and Sean talking on the podcast. I, I want to be taken from first principles and um, shown, helped to understand um, this issue. The Tech Nation report that you mentioned at the top, yeah. Open Finance, the future of insurance innovation, question mark, by the way. There's a big question mark there. Um, that's definitely worth looking at. The CII actually published um, some blogs that I co-wrote with Faith Reynolds, who's um, an acknowledged and consumer and data expert and strategic advisor to government and, and various other things. We wrote some blogs on open um, finance and open insurance for you last year. And so they're available on the site, along with a webinar where we talk about this in practice with one of the leading 
yeah, real kind of pioneers and, and trailblazers in open banking. Um, Sam Seaton of Money Hub, well worth a listen um, even now. And then I think the third resource that I would point people to, to really get an understanding of what the issues and opportunities are, is the Finance Innovation Labs report, again, 2021, on open finance and vulnerability. And um, you can download those reports, both the Tech Nation one and the Finance Innovation Lab reports from their respective websites, Viv. Okay, fantastic. Thank you, Sean. Any other tips for listeners at the moment who uh, are looking at this with uh, very wide open eyes? <laughs> I, think, um, I think it would be really good for people to maybe just devote a little bit of time to looking at the budgeting apps, because that is one of the most interesting. And um, it, it's one of the areas where you can actually really see what open banking does in practice. And it will give people ideas about how that could be made to work for insurance, you know, either from a broking or an insurance perspective. So there are loads of them, Viv. That's the point, right? Yeah. But if people think like a consumer and go on to one of the many money-saving uh, consumer-facing websites and tap in budgeting apps, you'll get a lot of information that way because that's the way that consumers are, are searching for this stuff. But I think it's a really concrete example of how all this technology and all this structural change is actually, you know, what, it, what does it actually look like in my hand on my phone if I'm a customer? I think that's quite useful. I think from a, from a looking at how customer impact is actually being measured at the moment through the open banking lens. I think it's really worth checking out the website of the OB, which is O-B-I-E, and that stands for the Open Banking Implementation Entity. So this is the, the government-appointed independent group that are there. Their whole job is to implement open banking in the UK. And so one of the many things that they're looking at is, you know, what what is customer uptake like? What, what does it take for people, consumers to engage with open banking? How are we measuring actual impact of the availability of these services? In other words, is anybody using them and is it making a difference to their financial resilience? Actually, um, they because their job is to implement open banking. They're researching all the areas, all the questions that when it comes to open insurance, we'd want to understand, right? What, what is something that is a compelling product and service for consumers and SMEs? SMEs are obviously vitally important to insurance. They have been forever. So they're a really good source of research and kind of like, um, you know, what's happening? What's important? What have we learned that you can then apply, uh, read across to insurance? But I also think... You know, the, the, one of the important things is that, you know, it really, if, if, finance, if the financial system doesn't work for everybody, then it really fundamentally at the end of the day does not work for any of us, right? And the fact is that large swathes of our society and our fellow citizens don't have access to the products and services across the board that would really make a meaningful difference to their financial resilience, right? Yeah, so that matters. And insurance has a massive role to play in protecting people from the worst effects of shit happening. Right, Viv? Yeah. I, I I'm not swearing lightly, but, you know, fundamentally, it, we're human and stuff happens. And, you know, insurance is there to kind of give you some comfort and peace of mind, but also, yeah. you know, substantially, materially put you back on your feet, whether you're an SME or a consumer. Right. So I think. 
if we really want to understand how how open insurance could could potentially help insurance to kind of do even better, which it does need to do. And lots of professionals in firms, you know, passionately believe that too and are working hard every day to make that happen. Um, we need to really listen to the consumer voices and the lived experience voices, right? Yeah. So the other place I, I would I would say is really, really important and useful piece of work by a group called Fair by Design, who are uh, focused on on eliminating actually the poverty premium in financial services and the poverty premium is the fun, the amount of money that you have to pay if you happen to be poor in the UK to, to access basic services in financial services that the rest of us kind of pretty much take for granted and the poverty premium in the UK is about 800 pounds so that means if you're poor you are going to pay at least £800 more than someone who's not when you're trying to access basic utilities like bank accounts, credit, and insurance. And sadly, for the sector that I really do obsess, I was going to say love, Viv, but it's a love-hate <laughs> relationship, really. Um, Fair by Design have, 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 have said, you know, insurance is the worst place at the moment in financial services for the poverty premium. It, it's servicing poor people worst uh, uh, amongst all the other areas of financial services. So there's a job to be done there. And we talk about the protection gap all the time, right? Yeah. So I think, you know, engage with Fair by Designs. They've got loads and loads of materials on their website and it will give you a real, it will give you stats and facts and figures and it will give you real people looking out of the camera to you, telling you how the way that insurance is, is currently constructed means that their lives are so much harder Viv, because they just happen to be poor. And I think that will be inspirational and, and sobering perhaps, but I think it will really sort of be all really interesting stuff to put into this. How are we going to make open insurance work for our business and our customers? Because it is coming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sobering. I don't think it's strong enough word really. Uh, I think most people would be shocked by that. I was trying to be polite, <laughs> No, I appreciate it. I really, really do. But um, yeah, I, I would, I would just echo what you said there, Sean. To everybody, go and have a look. Go and find out. Be informed. But unfortunately, we've we've got to end our podcast there. But thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge and information with us, Sean. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Viv. It really, I've appreciated it too. And um, spotlighting the efforts of people like Fair by Design and the Finance Innovation Lab, you know, that's that's a reward in, in itself as well for me. So thanks for giving me the opportunity to spotlight their great work too. Great. Thank you. And thank you to everyone for listening. You can find out more by visiting thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts or follow us on Twitter at CII Group. Until next time, stay safe and thank you for listening.